Hey everybody, welcome to the Quest for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover, and I'm fiercely passionate about having the opportunity to help shorten the learning curve of the people I'm blessed to have come into my life. In today's episode, I'm going to discuss emotional triggers, also known as psychological triggers or mental triggers, and the role they play in our lives and some ways to both assess and address them in the moment. Emotional triggers are things such as memories, experiences, or events that evoke intense negative emotions. Common situations that trigger these emotions include things like betrayal, rejection, unjust treatment, helplessness, loss of control, challenged beliefs, being excluded or ignored, feeling unwanted or unneeded, feeling disapproved of, receiving criticism, the list goes on and on. When triggered, a person can go from being in a good mood or from a stable or maybe even joyful emotional place to feeling overwhelmed or despondent in a matter of seconds. Identifying emotional triggers can make a significant difference in keeping a person psychologically and emotionally healthy, even when living through stressful situations. First, we need to identify where triggers come from because they can stem from many different factors that elicit a variety of different types of responses. So I'm going to talk about a number of buckets, so really three main buckets of of triggers, and then I'll touch on some peripheral ones as well. The first are anxiety triggers. These are best defined by symptoms of worry, discomfort, and unease. Any situation that causes extreme stress could be an anxiety trigger, and this could be chronic, such as fear of water or even fear of heights. And most of the time, people are able to manage this because they remind themselves that they're safe, but the next moment can trigger the anxiety. So this is a moment-to-moment thing. The second one are anger triggers. This reaction occurs as a result of anger or frustration and leads people to feeling out of control. And anger triggers can lead to yelling, outbursts of profanity, threats of violence, or other aggressive types of behavior. Anger triggers can lead people to lash out at their loved ones or even themselves. And the intensity is ramped up when there's alcohol or, or drug consumption. The third main bucket are trauma triggers. These are situations when a person remembers a harmful event that they experience, such as a person who survives physical or sexual abuse, maybe a veteran of war, or people that have dangerous occupations. Trauma triggers lead people to reliving the trauma both in mind and body, stemming from dreams, memories, and flashbacks. You see this with individuals that suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. And some other mental health triggers that, that may be more on the periphery include grief, poor sleep, chronic pain, relationship troubles, loud noises, unexpected events, and social gatherings. And what I've mentioned really is a glimpse into uh, you know, some of the types of triggers that exist, but this isn't an all-inclusive list. And it's important to note the psychological and emotional triggers are automatic responses to specific stimuli. This is what our brain does. So for example, if you were uh, intensely afraid of clowns as a child, seeing a clown now can trigger fear. If you experience discomfort when someone 
uh, else cries, then crying is a trigger. If you experience anxiety when someone gets angry, whether the anger is directed towards you or not, the anger itself serves as the trigger. All psychological and emotional triggers create an emotional response to varying degrees of intensity. And we connect that to a previous experience or memory with a similar emotional trigger to the situation at hand because triggers are connected to our thoughts. So this is how the process works. Before an emotion arises, we have a thought. Our memories from past experiences influence our thoughts. And when we have similar emotional reactions to certain behavior, sounds, words, maybe even smells, those reaction trigger our thoughts. Now, before we examine how we can choose responses that are more helpful after having identified the emotional trigger, let me provide you three examples based on people that have come into my life. The first one is Tom. Tom grew up crazy skinny, crazy skinny, and he grew into a, a man that was uh, very tall, north of six foot five. But as a kid, he was bullied and teased mercilessly. He became extraordinarily self-conscious, as you might expect. Throughout his teenage years, he tried to gain weight. He, in fitness parlance, he would be known as a hard gainer. And only as an adult man was he able to put weight on and keep it on. But he had to lift weights constantly and eat regularly. Otherwise, he would lose weight rapidly. What's interesting for Tom is simply looking in the mirror every day served as an emotional trigger that reminded him of the emotional pain he endured as a young boy. Fortunately for Tom, his coping mechanism was a productive one. He engaged in regular physical activity by lifting weights, and he ate reasonably nutritious food in order to keep the weight on. The downside, however, is that he became obsessive about this pursuit because of his desire to avoid the painful memories. To this day, Tom maintains the same workout and nutrition regimen. He's in his 60s now, and this lifestyle has helped him overcome his feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, but looking in the mirror every day still serves as that emotional trigger. The next person is Lisa. Lisa grew up in a household where doing things to please others was the only, air quotes, right course of action. She wasn't taught to have a voice for herself. She wasn't taught to be a free thinker. Conflict avoidance was the conflict management strategy, and we know that is not an effective medium and long-range strategy for life. If for no other reason, when we avoid conflict in the moment, that conflict starts you know, stacking up. Uh, you know, if you have you know, conflict over and over and over again, it starts stacking up. And then trying to address uh, those obstacles becomes completely overwhelming. For Lisa, she's triggered by conflict. She's triggered when anyone expresses frustration, anger, or disappointment toward her. I mean, it hurts her to her core. And in those, in those moments, she, she feels as though uh, she let the other person down. She feels in the moment that she displayed to the other person something that runs counter to what she believes to be, air quotes, the right way to live. 
even as an adult, she gets triggered when someone or when she communicates successes out loud and then is immediately um, is immediately told, well, that's good, but what do other people think about that? And by every measurable standard in her life, she's a success. Proof of that success is all around her, and yet she can't find peace because her self-worth is tied up into what other people think about her. And she's extraordinarily successful in her career. She's got an unbelievable family, and yet she's triggered in those moments where she feels as though she's letting other people down. The third person is Matthew. Matthew had a normal childhood, loving family, really good friends. His father died when he was a teenager, and as you might expect, that left an indelible impression on him. For Matthew, anything that resembled losing a loved one made him mad at the world. That perceived loss served as his trigger. When he felt the, the least bit disrespected, he got mad at the world. If someone lied to him, he got mad at the world. If a person didn't live up to his expectations, he got mad at the world. If he didn't live up to his own expectations, those expectations he had for himself, he got mad at the world. Every single slight or letdown or disappointment was an anger trigger for him. And as a result, he hurt and alienated a lot of people that truly wanted to connect with him, but he kept them at arm's length because he didn't want to even go down the road of anything that could resemble a, a loss of that relationship. Outwardly, he was a jerk. Inwardly, he felt alone. He was trying to reconcile the loss of his father as a teenager, and he felt as though he had to do that on his own. And seemingly everything triggered anger in Matthew. And whether or not that reaction was justified or not, and most of the, most of the time it simply wasn't. So after learning about each of these people I described, my guess is that you know a Tom, Lisa, or Matthew. And if not, I have no doubt that you know others that have very specific reactions to situations when they're triggered. It doesn't have to be in the, the main buckets of anxiety or anger or trauma. It could be something else. But invariably, we get triggered because we have a thought that's tied to a memory in our past. So the obvious next question is how can you, me, and the people we know learn how to identify and cope with the thoughts and memories that relate to the trigger so each of us can choose a more useful and more helpful and pro more productive response. The first step in identifying psychological or emotional triggers is self-awareness. Since triggers come in different shapes and sizes, it's important to acknowledge that um, it's important to acknowledge to yourself that you're in a, in a triggering situation. It's really being aware in the moment that, hey, something changed. I was in this conversation or I was in this social setting, but something changed that caused a different feeling. I mean, we feel these in, in our body. 
you know, for example, you might be having a really good day and you are dreading the presentation that you have to give in at work or in class or something, but up until the moment where you have to stand in front of you know, 100 people, uh, everything is seemingly okay. You've been able to manage through that today through various distractions, but now you're in the moment and you might have had a thought tied to a memory about being judged as a child or a teenager and now you are front and center and on stage and you know 200 eyeballs are looking at you and in the moment you feel extraordinary extraordinarily vulnerable and and potentially judged when you're in that moment now you notice it and noticing how you feel when you're triggered is the first step in identifying the source of the trigger in fact, becoming more self-aware is the single most important way to identify the trigger source because once you've identified that, once you are able to recognize the source of the trigger, you can take steps to change or regulate your reactions. Make no mistake, this is extraordinarily difficult to do. You have to turn around, in metaphorically speaking, you have to turn around and you have to stare at the memory. You have to look directly at the pain that you, you experienced at a previous moment in your life and stare it down in order to carve a new neurochemical groove. So what I want you to think about how our brain works is that when we're babies, uh, our, our neurochemical pathways are effectively a dry, flat riverbed. There's no breadth to it. There's no depth to it. It's just a, just imagine the desert. And as we, as we experience, experience things, and we experience things all the time, that dry riverbed starts developing grooves in it. And over time, it deepens, it starts to widen, it starts to lengthen. Now, our brain is highly attuned to negative situations. If for no other reason, it's, it's a self-preservation mechanism. This is how we're built. And whenever we have a negative experience at some moment in our past, maybe we got made fun of as a child, maybe we, heaven forbid, were physically or emotionally or sexually abused, um, any negative thing cuts into that riverbed and we create a neurochemical groove. Now emotions are the chemical response. Feelings are the, the words and, uh, and, and the physiological experience that we, that we have subsequent to the neurochemical flood in our brain. And that gets cut, especially if this is reinforced over time, that groove gets cut uh, wider and deeper, which is why it's so extraordinarily difficult to put down the baggage from our past. Because what we've ended up doing along the way is we've developed a variety of different coping strategies in order to just survive the, the pain associated with whatever experience that we had in our past. And in order to be able to move beyond that so we can live more functionally so we can live uh, more healthy lives, the first thing we have to do is we have to recognize the source of the trigger. And we, once we do that, we are staring down that pain. And this is, again, this is not an easy thing to do. But once we can get to that place, we can learn 
different ways to cope more effectively. In effect, we need to cut, at, cut a new neurochemical groove. We need to carve a new, uh, a new pathway. I mean, if you think about the whole dry riverbed analogy, we have to, uh, you know, in many ways, um, identify what that is through different coping me mechanisms and then start carving out that by deepening and widening that. So doing that there is, is quite difficult. So consider each of the following and, and, and see if any of these work for you. The first are, the first is, excuse me, is to accept your feelings. Your, your feelings, they're okay. They, they're okay, they're valid. The, and the trick is to accept them without letting them overtake you. You don't wanna be com completely consumed in the moment. You want to be able to get to a place where you can relive the experience. You can have the, the memory of that without it completely consuming you. And while you may not feel like you're in control of your feelings, especially as you start accepting them, you are in control of your reactions, which leads to the next step, which is take a step back. You see, during heightened emotional responses, we lose any semblance of objectivity. And pressing pause and taking a moment to reflect on the big picture versus being a prisoner of the moment can prove extraordinarily helpful in the moment. The next is communicate. Very often people shut down when the intensity of their emotional reactions um, can, can you know, cause a certain type of a certain amount of emotional pain and the intensity of that and it makes it difficult for them to communicate effectively so in the moment slow down gather your thoughts take a deep breath count to eight that's what i try to do to varying degrees of success and why the number eight it's because it's completely random and it it allows me to to press pause in the moment so so I can communicate more effectively, so I can communicate how I'm feeling so that I feel both heard and understood. Another a, a strategy is to practice mindfulness. And not only does this, uh, does becoming more mindful help you deal more effectively in the moment by increasing your focus, it can also allow you to be more aware of your triggers in general, thereby reducing the, the intensity uh, of them whenever you experience the trigger. Lastly, journaling. And this can take a variety of forms, whether you actually you know, have a formal journal and you carve out time every day for it, or heck, even just writing things down on post-it notes. The whole point is, is, is to write, write out your thoughts and feelings. Put words to them, be able to connect how you're feeling emotionally or physiologically with the words that you're writing down. And by noting the triggers that destabilize you emotionally, you can begin to identify the root cause in order to start processing those emotions more systematically and more effectively. We, we don't like looking at pain. Everyone knows this. We don't want to turn around and look at the 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 just negative experiences that we had in our past. We don't want to do that. But that begs the obvious question is, how was not doing that helpful? But by turning around and having the courage to turn around and stare at those things that trigger us,
and have a recognition in the moment that, hey, this this uh, you know experience uh, happened to me, or this is something that I I caused and led to a negative consequence. In in that moment, it's like go give that go give that person a hug, go give that person a hug and say, you know what, this is okay. We're going to we're going to work through this, and you know we've got all of these different coping mechanisms, and the goal isn't to eliminate the thoughts or the memories that led to the trigger. That's never the goal because those thoughts and memories are part of the mosaic that is you. They're part of this beautiful composition that is you and your life. So the goal is to learn to cope so you can build and maintain positive, productive relationships both with others and more importantly, with yourself. And as usual, it's all food for thought, fellow questers. You can contact the show at thequestforlife.com. That's thequest4life.com. Be sure to tell your friends. The show continues to grow. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining the conversation.